everyone. Welcome to episode 10 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. Woohoo! Episode 10! Yes, we are We are book cougars. We're the cougars. We're tens. We're tens and we're in double digits. It's exciting. Um, before we get started, I did just want to say one thing, which is um, spring has arrived in Guilford. And the birds are really happy in my neighborhood. There's been a lot of hawk lovemaking going on. Oh, my. So um, you actually can really hear them sometimes. So if you guys hear something in the background, that's just a hawk getting lucky in my neighborhood. So um, I thought I would just issue a little warning beforehand. (laughs) I'd rather have that than, like, I'm finding um, animal remains here and there when I take Buddy out on his morning walk. It's kind of like, ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah. well, it's Wild <laughs> Kingdom over here, and I'm sure there's plenty of animal remains, but I don't come upon oh. those very often. All right, so Chris is uh, forcing my hand I here am. today. I am forcing Miss Emily <laughs> to reveal her top ten reads. Wah, wah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and we will say the top ten reads of this moment. Right, today. <laughs> today. I actually, already this morning, I, I worked on this, I've been working on it since you suggested we do this, and already from last night to today, I'm scratching one out, you know, like, oh, I can't make it that one. Yeah. It seems like a lot of pressure as it's, I scrolled through 650 books on Goodreads, yeah, you know. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, yeah. it's our 10th episode, it's our top 10s, and we're also going to offer a giveaway of one of these 20 books, um, and I think the only parameters on it will be the book does need to be available through bookdepository.com. If it's not available through bookdepository.com, we'll do our best to find a used copy if it should be out of print and get it to you. But if that doesn't pan out, we would just ask whoever the winner is to choose a second option. So, But we thought it'd be fun. Yeah, ten, a giveaway. Ten and a giveaway. Yeah, yeah. So um, maybe we'll when we're done giving each of our ten, we'll go over the raffle a little bit. Sounds good. Okay. Yeah. Very All right. Good. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you start. I'm gonna start. Okay. So I was on a plane recently, and I thought this is a good opportunity to just kind of jot down my ten. And so that's what I did. I I jotted down a list of ten that, you know, books that came to mind that have stayed on my mind or have been important to me. And the first one is a kids book. It is The Story About Ping by Marjorie Flack and Kurt Weiss, and that came out in 1933, um, but I had a hardcover edition growing up when I was a kid, and I just love that book. It's a story about a, a duck who gets separated from his family. Um, he lives along the Yangtze River in China. Oh, yeah. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm not 100%, and I just love that book, and I still have a paperback copy somewhere in the house. So it's not the original that you had when you were... You know, it's not, Mm because that is probably somewhere in my sister's house, and hopefully not destroyed by my niece and nephew. But I have to ask her if she still has it. Yeah. So anyway, the story about Ping. Cool. Uh, My first is So Long, um, colon, Stories by Lucia Berlin. And what I love about this book is it made me a short story reader. Oh, cool. I had never liked short stories. I always felt like, ah, I'm just getting into these characters and now they're gone. And my good friend Kim, who was part of one of my book clubs, who was a huge short story reader, said, try this. And she handed it to me and um, I became a big fan of short stories. Very cool. Yeah, it's a great reason to have that. Yeah. Well, of course, my second. and, And I should say mine are not necessarily ranked in any order they were just the ones that came to mind mine either so 
no surprise to anyone that I have Dracula <laughs> by Bram Stoker, uh, and that came out in 1897, and I think I've already talked about that enough, so. Very good. My second is The Echo Maker by Richard Powers. It won an award. I can't remember if it was a Pulitzer or a National Book Award. Um, and I came across this book from a book reviewer named Vic McCunis back in Dayton, Ohio, from where I used to live. And it's just a story that once I read it, it really stuck with me. So The Echo Maker by Richard Powers. Uh, I have on my list a Willa Cather novel. I love all of her novels, uh, but I chose one of ours, which is my current favorite of hers. It came out in 1922, and it won a Pulitzer. See, I, I thought you'd cheat there. I thought you'd just say, all Willa Cather. Yeah, you know, I had to choose one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> uh, my third is Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides. Yeah, I haven't read that one yet. That's a good one. I really like that book. Yeah. I know a lot of people who just adore that book. Uh, next up for me, now this is one of those, it's Stephen King, and I narrowed it down to three Stephen Kings. <laughs> <laughs> caught you one off there is a cheat <laughs> well i listed the stand the first uh but you know salem's lot or the shining those three could all be tied for my favorite i, see how this game is I know i'm, I'm changing my list everybody <laughs> <laughs> very good but you know yeah good stuff <laughs> my fourth and there's just one is state of wonder by ann patchett and I love Ann Patchett. Um, you know, her last book wasn't my favorite, but that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. Uh, but uh, anytime a book of hers comes out, I'm on it right away. That's so pretty pretty cool. Like, yeah. you just read that. So for it to be on your top ten. Oh, not oh, State, no? of, State of Wonder I read a while ago. Okay. Commonwealth is Com- her Oh, that's her one. new one. Okay. Sorry. And that, it wasn't, the you know, the real thing for me with Commonwealth is there were just so many characters mm-hmm. I couldn't keep up. That's a weakness of mine. So mm-hmm. it wasn't that it wasn't a well-written book. All right, a state of wonder. State of wonder. Oh. Yeah, I've only read Bel Canto. So different. I, I need to yeah. read more from her for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Each of her books is very different. Bel Canto's m- might be my least favorite. Okay. Not that I didn't enjoy it, but just the story is much different than a lot of her others. But mm-hmm. people love Bel Canto. Yeah. Not necessarily the opera, but yeah, not the opera. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Next up, I have a lantern in her hand by Best Reader Aldrich. Um, that came out in 1928. And Aldrich is not known today, but um, she was, during her writing years, which was 20s, 30s, 40s, she was one of the top paid women writers in America. Hmm. She wrote uh, something like 13 novels and over 200 short stories, and she wrote a lot for women's magazines of the time. I should back up and say Best Reader Aldrich was from Nebraska, or she lived most of her life in Nebraska, and by that time, Willa Cather had moved on and was living in New York, but she was, you know, the big powerhouse writer of the day. And I did some research on Aldrich at the Nebraska State Historical Society, looking at her letters and stuff. And there were a couple times where she kind of gives a dig towards Willa Cather. <laughs> like, you know, everybody thinks she's this great Nebraska writer, but she doesn't live in Nebraska. Ah. And Aldrich did. She lived in a town called Elmwood. Nebraska, which I always used to drive past when I lived in Lincoln and I'd go to visit my family in Plattsmouth. Elmwood was kind of on the way, so it's always fun to drive past your house. Did you feel her little bitter bitterness <laughs> remaining? <laughs> no, I didn't feel her bitterness remaining. Um, and, you know, I don't really know if she was bitter or if she was just 
poking trying to make a place for herself yeah i don't know if they ever met or anything i do have a biography of aldrich i haven't read it yet so it'd be kind of a fun thing to check out yeah but one thing cool thing about her house her house is now a museum you can go visit and learn about her and everything but she had this really kick-ass typewriter desk it was a wooden desk where the typewriter sat where a typewriter would sit on a desk but it had this drawer that could flip over and enclose the typewriter so you could use it as a writing top by hand or Mm -hmm. flip it over and the typewriter popped up kind of like sewing tables exactly yeah yeah Yeah. 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 but you didn't see a willa cather voodoo doll anywhere no i did not (laughs) (laughs) just kidding My fifth book is Delicious by Ruth Reichel. It was her first novel. She's very well known. She was, you know, a food um, critic for years with the LA, I think the LA Times and the New York Times. And then she wrote memoirs, um, Tender at the Bone and many others. But this was her first novel. And I loved it. It was just, it just made me feel warm and fuzzy. It takes place in New York. It's all about food and a young woman discovering New York through food, and there were recipes, and so it was just right up my alley. Nice. All right, next up for me is uh, Life and Death in Shanghai by Nin Cheng, and that came out in 87. Um, It was about her experience living through the Cultural Revolution in China. So the Cultural Revolution was when the communists took over, so she was associated with Western ways in western companies so she was arrested Mm -hmm. she was imprisoned for six or seven years in torture because she wouldn't renounce her old ways of living and i just love that it's a it's her autobiography and she was just such a she is such a strong person and i just was amazed i read it at at a time in my life when i needed Courage, mm. and and it really helped me with that. So that's Life and Death in Shanghai by Nin Cheng. Very good. My sixth is Remains of the Day oh. by Kazuo Ishiguro. Very cool. I think that's how you say his I name. I read that. And this is one, this isn't one that necessarily stood out, you know, when I started thinking about my top ten, but as I scrolled through the books I've read on Goodreads, I was like, oh, I loved that book. Mm-hmm. And it's an ex- another example of a book I would not have read were it not for my book club. Mm. Um, but it, it's just beautifully written, and um, I enjoyed it. Yeah. So it was fun, and I thought, I'll put that on my top ten. Nice. Why not? Yeah. Because it's low pressure for me, because my top ten <laughs> could be different tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a top 20 when we have 20. Of, no, we won't. Well, I shouldn't say we won't. Who knows what we'll do by then. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, next up for me is a book uh, that my dad had that I was so intrigued by. It's The Good Old Days, They Were Terrible. By Otto Bettman. And that came out in 1974. And I love that book. It was all, it was looking at, it was looking at the Gilded Age, late 19th century, and really how terrible conditions were. It was trying to dismiss, or not dismiss, you know, offer a counterclaim to the nostalgic view of how everything was great in the good old days. Mm, And, you know, he talks about education and life and food and alcoholism and working conditions and their pictures and drawings and I just I think that was if I could pinpoint one book that made me fall in love with history it'd probably be this book and I I still have my dad's edition of it and how old were you when you read it I was 
probably like eight or nine. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. Lifelong yeah. love of history. Yeah. Huh. And, my, you know, my parents always take us to houses and historic sites and right. all that. So My next is Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. And this kind of mirrors what you just said um, in the book prior to the one you just talked about, about giving you... Um, something you needed at a certain time in your life. I read this book while I was preparing for this big move to Guilford. And I happened to read it while in a group um, of, I think there were about 10 women. And we went through, um, there are people who are Brene Brown kind of facilitators. And we went through exercises around the whole daring greatly idea that Brene Brown has Mm -hmm. about facing your vulnerabilities and that sort of thing and um, dealing with past shames you've had in your life and all of that. So it was very special to me at the time that I read it and gave me the confidence I needed to dare greatly and make this big move. So daring greatly, Brene Brown. Next up for me, The Seven Story Mountain by Thomas Merton. And that came out in 1948 that Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk. He became a Trappist monk. And this is a book he wrote, I think after he'd been there for about five years He was a writer and had a very good, promising literary career, but he became a Trappist monk instead. And I just, I couldn't tell you much about the book, but I just remember really enjoying it when I read it. Very good. Yeah. And I I could tell a funny story. When I was reading it, and I was taking a trip out to Seattle to visit family on the train, and I didn't have a sleeper. I was just in a chair. Um, And so every time I woke up, I felt like there was somebody new sitting next to me. (laughs) because that's kind of what happens when you're on the train for what two nights three days I think it was and one time when I woke up and and the book was like right there on my tray I woke up and this woman was sitting next to me and I swear to god she was like looking at me like like waiting for me to wake up waiting for me and I woke up and she's like oh good you woke up (laughs) she's like I was hoping you'd wake up before I got off because I love this book and I wanted to know why you're reading it and Uh, is it for school or whatnot and I said no I'm just I just it caught my eye and I'm reading it and she was a former nun who was actually going, she was on her way to go to the a wedding of friends, one who was a former nun and one who was a former priest. And wow. she, you know, she just talked about the book and how much it had influenced her mm. and inspired her. And huh. so that was kind That's of a great. fun thing. Yeah. That's a great story. Talking to people on trains, it's so funny. I'm not a talker to people on trains, but yeah. one of the things I do love about even being just on the subway in New York is so many people are reading. Mm-hmm. It's so fun to see all the books. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. So that's a great story. <laughs> Trying to look and see what the cover yeah, is exactly. if you can't see it. And it's one of the things I hate about e-readers. It's like, is it rude to ask them what they're reading? <laughs> You know, because mm-hmm. you can't see. Right. I, although I have tried to peer over people's shoulders and, <laughs> you know, look at their e-readers. But um, very good. I, I did that once. <laughs> we were waiting for a show to start, and I was kind of peering over. And the guy must have sensed me because he turned around. He's like, oh, you, do you want to see it? It's a Kindle. <laughs> you know, and I was just like, oh, oh, he's like, oh, is it really? Oh, is how oh you didn't say, actually, what I want to know is what yeah, you're reading. I don't remember if we did or not. I, I just remember him saying, like, oh, it's a Kindle. Do you anyway. <laughs> That's funny because the guy, when we went to see Sunset Boulevard the last time I was in the city, um, the guy sitting next to me at all the breaks and... Like, I get there was only one intermission, but before the show started and in that intermission, he was reading his Kindle, and I was just dying to say, like, what is it? Hey, hey, okay, so listeners, if you're, you know, if you're interested, let us know. Do you ask people what they're reading if they're reading on an e-reader? Let us know your stories about that if you want to. Or do you just embarrass yourself and, you know, pretend like you have to reach over for something and, (laughs) you know, stick your face in their Kindle? (laughs) 
right, so my next is called Getting Unstuck, Breaking Your Habitual Patterns and Getting Unstuck by Pema Chodron. Love her. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know her, she's a she used to be a nun, actually, mm-hmm. I think, didn't she? I'm pretty sure. Before she became a Buddhist. Yeah. I don't really know. You know, I may have that story wrong, you know, but for some reason that seems It brings right. a bell, but yeah. yeah. And she's, a yeah, now she does all sorts of medita- Buddhist meditation. And what I love about her, I listened to this one on audio, and I it's one that I kind of get every year and re-listen to it just to get the little shot in the arm. But mm-hmm. she's so normal, you know, so she'll give examples of what, you know, what she struggles with or what her daughter-in-law struggles with or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, she's just a very normal kind of approachable person and it makes what she has to say all that much more interesting and also kind of you feel like it's attainable Mm -hmm. you know so I love that book and like I said I listen to it once a year and it's called Getting Unstuck by Pema Chodron. All right my next one is uh, speaking of nuns by a woman who is a former nun it's The Spiral Staircase My Climb Out of Darkness by Karen Armstrong. That one came out in 2004 and I, I I was working at the bookstore and it caught my eye and I read it and I just loved it. It's about her going into an order when I think she was like 17, very young, and her parents were kind of against it. Uh, But she did live as a nun for more than five years, I think. Seven sticks in my mind. I'm not really sure. And she left the order, went to Oxford, got her degree, and just had a real struggle with depression and her faith and what she wanted to do in her life and it's about her finding that so Mm. it was just such an inspiring read and it's one I took off of my shelf recently and have it on my bedside table so I don't know if that means I'm going to read it again soon or if I just wanted it there you just like to be near it I have books like that I just like to pet them every once in a while (laughs) yeah so that's the spiral staircase by Karen Armstrong and she she's written a ton of books on comparative religion Mm. so Mm, yeah Well, of course, I have to have a cookbook on my list. <laughs> so I have In the Sweet Kitchen, The Definitive Baker's Companion by Regan Daly. Um, this book is just, it's, I, I just love it. It's, you know, all baking, which is, you know, I, I've, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast. I say this to people all the time that I love to bake. I don't particularly love to cook. Mm-hmm. I cook because we have to eat real food, you know, but if I could just bake all day, I would. And this, her recipes are just really solid. Um, when I worked at a restaurant um, many years ago, the owner of the restaurant brought this book in, and I just kept borrowing it and taking it home and cooking. And finally, I was like, okay, I think I just need to get my own copy. And um, there's also just a lot of cool information about baking in the front, so it's a good reference as well. Cool. So In the Sweet Kitchen, The Definitive Baker's Companion by Regan Daly. Cool. All right. My tenth book is... Bananas, Beaches, and Bases, hmm. Making Feminist Sense of International international Politics. And that came out in 1989. I know there's a second edition that came out more recently. Um, and that was the first feminist book I read. I was in college, and I was recently out of the Marines. So it kind of like hit me upside the head and brought together so many different strains in my life is how I felt Mm. and I just love it I it's one of those books I do want to read again recent uh I do want to read again Uh, but you know she talks about military economics fashion ideas of beauty so many things are in that book and I just loved it bananas beaches and bases 
Yeah, bases who, meaning military bases. Right. Duh. And, and who was that by again? <laughs> oh, Cynthia Enlow. Well, my last... Maybe I'll cheat since you had to cheat. <laughs> I've, I'm cheating some more because oh, I know oh, she has four I have, on her list. I have two honorable mentions. <laughs> you are so bad. All right, I'm gonna get my list out and scroll while you do it. No. So my last is "How Reading Changed My Life" by Anna Quinlan. Oh, cool. But then underneath, I wrote <laughs> "Still Life with Breadcrumbs," which is also one of her novels that I love. How Reading Changed My Life is nonfiction, and it's mm-hmm. this tiny little book, and it's just lovely, and it kind of explains people like us that just love to read. Mm-hmm. And I love her writing. I mean, I, I was going to put all of Anna Quinlan's work, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I didn't. But so I would say those two are probably two of my favorites of hers. Very cool. Yeah. So How Reading Changed My Life, Anna Quinlan, and then Still Life with Breadcrumbs, which was a novel by her, Anna Quinlan. So I, so I have, before you get to your honorable mentions, I want to just mention in our top tens, a lot of nonfiction, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. And I yeah. struggled with that as I was looking, because I really threw in some fiction because I felt like, oh, I have so much nonfiction. Yeah. You know, it was interesting, because just for my list, and this is just the order I wrote it in, the first five were fiction, and the second five were nonfiction, and I didn't plan it that way yeah it just came out so it's kind of curious yeah and it just makes me wonder about other people's top tens Mm -hmm. maybe when we put out this episode we'll make a call to people to post your top tens because i i know some people who are they're so good about it that they actually you know like if they read a new book that they feel like oh this just knocked something off my top Mm ten you know and i as i've mentioned many times i cannot imagine (laughs) Doing that, but um, anyway, yeah. I do I do think that when thinking about books that have really stayed with me, a lot of times it's the nonfiction I've read, not the fiction. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just powerful. I mean, good, well-written nonfiction that speaks to whatever you're looking for in your life, I think. I, and novels can be life-changing, too, obviously. Yeah. We've yeah. had that experience, but mm-hmm. yeah. there's just something about being with the mind of another person as they explore a topic. Right. Like, you really feel like you're there with them sometimes. Well, someone recently said to me that part of what reading does for you is it gives you a narrative for your life. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's partly by reading nonfiction, you know, it's helping to give you some form for that narrative. Mm -hmm. Whereas fiction, as much as it, you know, it's more of an escapist form, maybe. Yeah, it definitely can be. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it can be. I mean, Laura and I have talked a lot about that, about reading and how it can be different things. It could be entertainment and educational mm-hmm. and escapism and a lifeline. Right. You know, when you need it. So Definitely a lifeline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also wonder, I mean, I tend to listen to more nonfiction as audio. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there is something about it sticks with you sometimes in a different way if you've listened to it versus reading it. Interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, none I, of these that I listed were audiobooks. Okay. Yeah, they were all books I actually, you know, physically read. Yeah. And none of them are ebooks. They're yeah. all, you know, can't remember on my physical books. Yeah. All right, should we let you do your honorable mentions? All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I'm all like, oh Emily, you should choose your top ten. And here I am, like you know, globbing on a couple Stephen King. Yeah, maybe and... I should talk about the ones I scratched out on this list. <laughs> anyway, I just really couldn't help but mention Awakening the Buddha Within by Lama Sura Das. That came out in 1998, and I love that book. And I've done a lot of reading and some Buddha 
Buddhist practice and things. And whenever somebody asks me, what book should I read to get me into Buddhism? I always recommend that one, Awakening the Buddha Within. And then the other one is a novel. Again, fiction, nonfiction, right? But it's The Good Earth by Pearl S. Buck. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, 1931, that one came out. And that was one I read in middle school. And I just loved reading that. And I love the class discussions we had about it. Mm. And I reread it a couple years ago and still loved it. And it really held up. And some of the scenes that were so burned in my mind were still there for mm-hmm. me. And other things I didn't remember at all, but they were just really hit me in, in, in all the right places. So, Well, of your 12 books, <laughs> <laughs> that's the only one of yours I've read. The Good, the Good Earth, Earth I did okay. read. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, have I read any of yours? I don't know. Have you, you've listened to Pema Trojan or read Pema I have, I don't, I don't, read, you've, yeah. you've I don't think I did that one. that one, no. Oh, it's so good. You haven't read In the Sweet Kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> you know, cookbooks and books about cooking, that's one thing I haven't gotten into yet. I always have to add that yet, because you never know, <laughs> no, you know? you never know. I used to, I remember when I started in college and was, you know, I was really going to be a medievalist was my thing, mm. and... And then through graduate school, I got turned on through, like, pre-20th century women writers. And and then I used to think, like, ooh, World War One, World War Two, how kind of boring. Like, who'd want to study that? But then I got into this whole World War One phase and World War Two. So who the hell knows you know, what you're going to be yeah. into? You just don't know. All your top ten next year could be cookbooks. Totally. You never know. That's right. Yeah. We could be arguing over baking books. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 200, Chris and Emily throw down on baking books. Yeah. So should we talk about the raffle, the big giveaway? Yeah, so the big giveaway. Well, we chose to go through Book Depository because it is free shipping anywhere in the world. So if they have the book and any, you know, this is open internationally. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Because sometimes people have to say it's only, you know, for yeah. the U.S. or Canada because yeah. they can't yeah. deal with the shipping. But since Book Depository is free shipping... That's what we're going to do. We are geographically unbiased here at the Book Cougars. (laughs) (laughs) So what we're going to try to do is we're going to use Rafflecopter, which some of you might have come across in blogs or on Facebook. But it's um, a service that lets you do enter to wins quite easily. We'll post that on our Facebook page, and then we'll also put it on our website in the show notes for episode 10. So look for that. If we can't have the actual enter to win box there, we'll have at least a link that'll take you to Facebook. Very good. And if you have issues with all of the above, just email us right. at bookcougars at gmail.com. Right. And we'll yeah. do our best. We'll and do so our best to What help we're you saying out. is you can win one of these one of these books. Twenty two <laughs> books. <laughs> be any Anna Quinlan book. Yeah, look at that. How about that, right? So how many has she written? Are we up to now 35? <laughs> anyway, we're, we're having such a fun time doing this podcast, and we appreciate everyone's support and encouragement, and so we just wanted to give back a little bit with this giveaway. So we hope you take advantage of it and enter to win. Yes. And we'll pick a winner by when. That's a good question. Say two weeks, and we'll announce the winner on the next sure. Episode? I don't know. How sure, we maybe do we should do it on tax day so people can have something happy happen oh, that that's day. That's kind of good. You want to do that? April, April 17th. Oh, 17th? This year, I think. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Okay, so April the 17th. Winner will be chosen April 17th. All right. All right. And I also would like to just do a little gratitude check with my, my co host here, Chris, and just tell you how much I love 
being a book podcast Aww. host with you. Aww, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. This is this really has fun. just been a, such a treat. Yeah. Treat. It is. It's <laughs> it a treat. is. It is a treat. And we yeah. were talking today about how quickly two weeks goes by. Yes. It's also like it's the first thing I've done in a long time that I feel like kind of shows the passing of time. Mm-hmm. When I was raising my kids, I really felt like there were a lot of things that showed the passage of time, just like the school week. And, mm-hmm. you know, you always had your calendar going with them. And since... Jacob left for college, I feel like the, the passing of time has really changed for me. Mm, but this really has shown like, wow, two weeks really flies by. Yeah. You know? so it really does. It does. Wow. Yeah. Great time. So anyway, thanks, folks. Thank you. Now we're going to launch into our regular episode. Right. And our we, regular segments. That's what I mean. Right. Yeah. And I think we're going to, I don't know if we need to talk about this, but we might split this into two just for people's. Listening ease. We're at a half hour right now. Okay. Yeah. So, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see. All right. So you had a couple follow-ups you wanted to start with, right? I yeah, I did. One is Nellie Olson. Those Nellie. of you who are Little House on the Prairie fans know who I'm talking about. Um, but one of the Emily had wanted to ask the author that we saw if Nellie Olson was real, right. and we didn't. She didn't get to ask that question, unfortunately, but. Uh, Laura, my wife, did a little research, and because she was a big Little House on the Prairie fan, and found that Nellie Olson, the character, was actually a conglomerate of three girls that Laura knew throughout her growing up years, because, you know, they traveled so much, so she kind of combined these three girls, and of course, as most of us know, unfortunately, there's a bully in every town, so. Right. Yeah, Nellie Olson. So that's why she was such a monster bully, because she was like three people <laughs> yeah. put together. Yeah. I wonder if those women recognize themselves, if they should have read the book. Right, yeah. if there are any stories that are like, oh, that was me. I've heard authors talk about that, that people will say, is that me? Is yeah. that me? And they're like, no, you know, and then they're like, you're actually the bigger asshole. Right. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but if you want to think you're that one, sure. <laughs> Well, I also have another Little House follow-up, which is my sister, Trisha, texted me a picture of our stack of Little House on the Prairie books from when we were a kid. Kids, and she said she read them all, and she's pretty sure I read them all, but I don't Mm -hmm. remember that. And then it also cracked me up because... On top of that stack of Little House on the Prairie books, she had a stack of Judy Bloom books. Oh, awesome. And then I showed her my stack of Judy Bloom books, and I said, I thought that I had our Judy Bloom books from when we were a kid. So I don't know if that means she and I weren't good sharers when we were <laughs> kids, and we each had to have our own set. I don't know, but I thought that was pretty funny. So That's awesome. I still don't remember reading them. Maybe Judy my sister Bloom. read them to me. Oh, no, the Little, Little House, House. Yeah. yeah. I definitely remember watching the show, but I don't remember reading them. Yeah, I don't remember reading them at all if I did. Mm-hmm. I remember reading Judy Bloom. Yeah. Are You There, yeah. God? It's Me, Margaret. Yeah. was a big one. My friend Lori and I would share books, and we were both very, very concerned about taking care of our books and, like, you know, not cracking the spines and being very gentle, and oh, wow. I remember that. Yeah, it's good to find the right people to share books with. Yeah. Yeah, the other day I was reading a library book and I got to a certain page and I was like, oh my, I do not know what that is in that book. (laughs) Maybe I'm just going to keep turning pages. (laughs) Yeah, my attitude has changed a bit. I mean, there are some books that I take very good care of when I'm reading and others it's just like, it's meant to be cracked. Yeah, that's how I feel. Dog-eared and written on and spilled on, you know. I love a well-used book. Yeah, I'm careful when I borrow a book, but I definitely am not careful with my own or... And I'm careful with library books, although I have had an occasional 
fine, I've had to pay for the library book that ended up in the bathtub, you know? Yeah. It happens. (laughs) (laughs) I had had one time I was at the beach, uh, actually at Lake Michigan Beach, and I had a copy of Hemingway's A Farewell to Arms in my back pocket, and I was just kind of walking along, like in the water, up to my ankles, and all of a sudden my butt felt kind of cold, and I turned around and I looked, and there was the book floating in the water, and it was a library book. And I was oh, like, no. Yeah, oops. it happens. Yeah. It happens. Well, thank you, uh, Laura, yet another roving researcher we have for yes. the book Cougars. Appreciate that follow-up on Nellie. Yeah. Oh, and I have a little free library follow-up, too. Oh, uh, just a, a, a neat little thing. Um, I posted on my Facebook page a couple pictures of the little free library, and my cousin, one of my cousins from Australia said commented, oh, I wish we had these here. And I pulled up, like, the Australia section around where she lives, and I posted the picture. I said, you do. Oh, and uh, so, cool. so she went out just a couple days later and visited one of the little free libraries and chose a book. At, she left two. She took one. And the book she took, I think it was a Dave Baldashi book. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't remember exactly. But her, her husband snagged it first and started reading it like that morning. And he read it throughout the whole day and finished it at like <laughs> one in the morning. So His books, if it was a Baldacci book, those are pretty much page turners. Yeah. So I get that. Yeah. yeah. So oh, that's a great story. Yeah. All the way to Australia. Australia. Yep. <laughs> Should we look at what we just read? Just read. Go ahead. You want to start? start? Okay. My first is Babette's Feast by Isaac Dennison. Um, And that's actually a pen name. Her real name is Karen Blixen. She actually wrote under like three different pen names. Interesting. And um, I don't know if that's because back in the day, you know, she she was a female and all of her pen names are either kind of somewhat androgynous or male sounding to Mm -hmm. me, but I don't know if that's why. She also wrote the book Out of Africa. Mm-hmm. about her time um, I think she grew up in Africa part of her her time her family traveled there but Babette's Feast is a little novella and Thomas from the readers when he listened to the book Cougars um, I should mention the readers is another book podcast yeah he and Simon Savage do it together um, he t- tweeted has Emily re- read Babette's Feast and watched the movie because I talked about my love of food and mm-hmm. books about food so thank you, Thomas. I did get it. It was a little hard to find. It's in a story collection called Anecdotes of Destiny. Um, and it takes place in Scandinavia. And Babette is a refugee that arrives to these two um, sisters who live together. And sh- they don't really have any money to house her. And so she ends up kind of working for them and cooking for them. And she has to learn their food because French food obviously is very different than like pickled herring yeah. and stuff like that. And, um, and they, the, the young, well, I guess they, they grow up to be older women. These sisters want to have a celebration of their father's hundredth birthday. What would have been his hundredth birthday. And Babette wants to cook the feast for them. So then this whole thing ensues of her trying to get French food, you know, food stuffs brought in so she can cook this huge French feast. So it was a very enjoyable little short read. I did then get the movie and watched it. I had a little subtitle snafu where, like, I could only read half of the subtitles. And at the beginning, I thought, oh, I can make it through. This will be fine. You know, and then finally I was like, you know, why don't you look at the tools on your TV and fix it and see if you can actually get it so you can see the subtitles which i did and that made it much more enjoyable so babette's (laughs) feast by isaac dennison well i read sense and sensibility by jane austen really enjoyed it 
I think out of, I've read Persuasion and Pride and Prejudice and now Sense and Sensibility. And, you know, I love the Emma Thompson movie mm-hmm. adaptation. I love that. You know, we own it. I've watched it dozens of times probably. So, and I've listened to the audio too, but reading it is always a different experience. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say that it was a slog by any means, but I know I was kind of like, come on, let's, I wanted to, I wanted to get to certain parts, you know. Because uh, you know the story. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I really enjoyed it. Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen. So did you skip a little because of that? No, or no? You didn't. I didn't skip. Okay. I didn't skip a word. Okay. I was you were on diligent. It. Yes, yeah. very good. No, I love I love the way she writes and talk about enhancing your vocabulary. Hmm. Some of the words, I mean, I did a lot of looking up of words and writing down of words. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, that's a good one. I want to incorporate that into my yeah. vocabulary. Well, that's a good segue for my next book, which okay. is Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk by Kathleen Rooney. This is a Booktopia book. For those of you who um, don't know, Booktopia is a book event that Chris and I are going to in, in May. And there are nine books, I think, nine, nine authors oh, coming. Nine now? They oh. added one. Wow. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah, they yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, the reason it's a good segue is because I found that the language was very... Um, how did I, I... What did I write in my notes? It's very um, proper, hmm. very proper language. And um, it's, a, it's based on a, it's a novel, but it's based on a, a, a woman who was a real advertising executive back in the day named Margaret Fishback. And um, it's the 1930s in New York City, and she was wrote ad copy for R.H. Macy's. Mm, cool. And um, she actually, Margaret Fishback died in 1985. But Lillian, who is the character, is this takes place on her 84th slash 85th year, because she lies about her age by one year, which cracks me up. <laughs> and it's New Year's Eve 1984, and she takes a walk around New York City. And we mentioned this in a prior episode that there's a map in the front of the book mm-hmm. that has all the places that she stops. And it's it, it reflects on how different it was to be a working woman back in the day. Mm-hmm. And also how your career would pretty much be over if you had children. Yeah. And so that that happens to her. Um, and so it's kind of her last adventure. Her, you get the feeling this is kind of her last hurrah and one of the things that I thought was really funny is she talks to a bunch of strangers, which, you know, I've already outed myself that, especially on trains, I don't do that. She didn't take a train, but any place she stopped, you know, she would engage people that that she was coming into contact with, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of cute. It reminded me of the book The Engagements by J. Courtney Sullivan, mm-hmm. which was also about an advertising executive, another work of fiction Um who, and it was the woman who started the phrase, "A diamond, diamonds are a girl's best friend. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So the, the characters were very similar to me. Um, but I just, I wanted to read just a little bit. This is an example of the, la- the way the language is. And this, this statement's a little appropriate to the current times we're living in. Among the many unsurprising facts of life that, when taken in aggregate, ultimately spell out the doom of our species is this. People who command respect are never as widely known as people who command attention. Amen, Lillian. (laughs) (laughs) So it was my first Booktopia read. I've got eight more to go. Um, Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk by Kathleen Rooney. Excellent. I look forward to reading that one. Well, the next book I read was a writing book. My writing has been very 
anemic lately, mm. so I needed a little injection. New blood, yeah. as I say. Um, so I found long, uh, sorry, lifelong writing habit, or the lifelong writing habit, The Secret to Everyday Writing by Chris Fox. And I have read a lot of writing books in my day, and some of them are very serious, and some are more playful, like Writing Down the Bones by Natalie Goldberg is one of my favorites. And this is one I, I just happened to come across it, and it's a very short book, and I read it in no time, but it, it motivated me. You know, oh, it was a fun book with some, some good tips, and so it, I have been writing more consistently since then, which good. is a good thing. Yeah. So, have you read Stephen King's book on writing? Yeah, yeah I've read that one a couple times. That. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, it's a great Just book. I, I know most writers I know say that one is a is a must read. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Good. My next book is actually another Booktopia book, so I should say I have I have two down. Edgar and Lucy by Victor Lodato. <laughs> this is the book they just the author they just added and mm. the book they just added. <clears throat> it was long. Mm-hmm. It was over five hundred pages. Mm. Um, just to be clear, I have a little issue with books that are that long. I just feel like that's a lot of words. And it always amazes me how some people can tell the full story in 250 pages and some people take 500 pages to tell it. Um, I liked it. Um, it's a book about Edgar, who's a young boy who um, has albinism. Is that how you say it? He's an albino. Oh, okay. And then his mother, um, Lucy, and his grandmother... And um, goes places I didn't expect it to go. There's a bit of a mystery um, about what's, ha- you know, this, this, the young boy goes missing. I'll just say that. I don't want to give too much away. But there's also a mystery in the family about what happens when someone dies in the family, but it's not, it, it, you know, children's minds are very different. And when it's not explained to a child then a lot of mystery starts to develop in their life about what happened to this person in, in their, that, that died. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's about grief and loss and then also people trying to do the best they can. And I think in motherhood, that plays out in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Being a mother is certainly the hardest job I've ever had. It's also the most fulfilling job I've ever had. Mm-hmm. But, um, so it talks a lot about that. One of the things I did find interesting just about the way it was written, I, I'm a fan of books with very small, like short chapters and books that have interesting titles. Mm-hmm. So I've, I'm not, I'm sorry, chapters that have interesting titles. Okay. So I found myself at the end of each chapter going back to see like, what did he title this? Oh, cool. And then it also made me wonder, and this is a question I'll want to ask him if I get the chance at Booktopia is, if you, he did that because he was moving chapters around because mm-hmm. it seemed like the kind of book where it could have actually been that way. Okay. You know, to yeah. develop the story. So I'm kind of curious to ask him about that. Cool. But um, Edgar and Lucy by Victor Lodato. All right. Well, the last book I recently read is The Oven by Sophie Goldstein. Goldstein. Um, and it's just a short little graphic novel. I happened to be at the library the other day and it caught my eye. It was on display. And I actually just stood there and read it. It's, it's that short. Mm. It is a story about a couple who escape to... I think it's a futuristic type situation and they escape with each other to an area because they want to start a family. And apparently in the, the regime, whatever it is, they're very restrictive on who can reproduce mm. if they're capable of reproducing. There's a lot of um, low sperm counts and things like that, I guess, um, from environmental catastrophe. 
And the regulations are getting stricter and stricter on who can reproduce. And I guess the, the man in this story has acne. And mm. they're no longer, people with acne are no longer allowed to reproduce. So it's pretty hardcore. <laughs> so it's their story of, of meeting this other woman who lives there and is raising her family there and kind of what happens with their relationship. And it is for, it's rated for adult mature audiences because there is a scene of some cunnilingus happening. Mm -hmm. So it's not graphic. I think that's happening outside my window right now. Can you hear the hawk? (laughs) In the bird bird world. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So anyway, that's The Oven by Sophie Goldstein. Oh, never heard of it. Very cool. My next book was Lincoln in the Bardo by George Saunders. Um, I listened to it. This is the book that's getting a lot of buzz right now because it has 166 narrators. And they're very famous people like um, Bill Hader and Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally. And um, and it was good. It was a little confusing. And um, our mutual friend Jana, her son, had read it and kind of wrote up this PDF file with all the characters and who plays what and that sort of thing. And so I did ask her to send it to me at one point and read through it. And um, what's important to know if you read it or listen to it is that many of the characters are ghosts. The bardo is actually a a Tibetan Buddhist um, idea that when people die, they spend time, a period of time in the bardo. And the amount of time that they spend there before moving on into into the world of death, I guess, um, is, you know, from, I'm sorry, when they're in the bardo, they're ghosts. And then when they officially die and aren't ghosts anymore and leave the bardo, that period of time is dependent kind of on what they did in their life and where they're at with their death and, you know, what kind of character traits they have and all of that. So many of them are ghosts, mm-hmm. and then also Lincoln is a character, and it's based on the story of, um, which is true, which is that Lincoln's 11-year-old son died while he was um, in office as mm-hmm. president. And so he, he goes to the cemetery to visit his son's grave, and then his son is a ghost, and there are all these other ghosts in the graveyard that are characters. So I had to finally embrace, like, just listen and don't get too caught up in trying to figure it out, you mm-hmm. know? And I ended up really enjoying it. And some of the readers are just, you know, they're actors. So it was fantastic. And I feel like he also kind of turned the novel, the idea of a novel on its head by the Mm -hmm. way it was structured. And then by having this like fantastic audio version of it done. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, audiobooks are the number one growing segment of the book world right now. And I think that we're seeing a change where more actors are performing audiobooks. So... Um, and I just saw a headline yesterday that Nick Offerman and, and Megan Mullally, who are married, um, just bought the rights to it and are going to make it into a movie. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Um, and there's only one other fact that I wanted to point out, which I have a lot of friends right now who are going through dental issues. And Lincoln had wooden teeth, which I didn't know. So I thought, you know. Let's not complain about our, you know, crowns. Yeah. <laughs> at least they're not wooden. <laughs> yeah. And at least we have Novocaine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yikes. Wow. That's but, cool. I'm glad to hear you enjoyed yeah. it. Um, on one of the flights I was on recently, uh, the man next to me was reading it. Mm, and yeah. he, he didn't last long. He he started playing solitaire on his phone. <laughs> so I was just like, hmm. Is... It's, a, it's a tricky book. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's going to get mixed reviews. Yeah. I'm sure it is. The other thing I have to say is remember that I had my complaints about seeing George Saunders and Colson Whitehead mm-hmm. at that event at the 92nd Street Y. 
after reading it, it made me even sadder. Like, oh, it would have been so interesting to have them really talk about their books, you yeah. know, because both of them took these. I kind of get now why they could have been asked to speak together because both of them took an idea and and really turned it upside down. Mm-hmm. And it would have been interesting to hear about that a little bit more. Yeah. Definitely. I won't complain about that yeah. event anymore, I yeah. promise. But Well, you know, I have to say I was working this morning and I looked up at the shelf and I saw the Underground Railroad sitting there, which I DNF'd mm-hmm. a while ago. And I thought, mm, you know... It's still on my mind. I think I'm going to pick that one up mm-hmm. again. And, and yeah. the Lincoln and the Bardo, it just sounds like a fascinating it concept. Yeah, mm-hmm. I enjoyed listening to it. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, I'm done. I'm... Okay. I have one other one, which I just finished this morning, called Spoon Fed, How Eight Cooks Saved My Life. And I gobbled this book up. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> um, this is a memoir by Kim, Kim Severson. Severson? who's a New York Times um, food writer. And it she talks about eight different very well-known chefs that changed, saved her life. And how, what she does is she kind of weaves in something about a particular chef that emulated her life. And so by meeting them and, and learning about their life, it helped her to figure out and give her um, a narrative for her own life, just like we were just talking mm-hmm. about. I... Uh, this is a book, the type of book I really love, kind of because you get to be a voyeur on famous people like Ruth Reichel and Marion Cunningham and people like that. The problem I had with the book is I didn't, I wasn't so interested in Kim, hmm, and it was a book about her. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it made me feel a little bit badly. Um, I still enjoyed it, and it was a quick read. And um, at the end of each chapter, she has a recipe, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. I always like that. So. Spoon-Fed, How Eight Cooks Saved My Life by Kim Severson. Okay, so next up we have Currently Reading. Yes. What are you currently reading? I'm currently reading. I think this is, I've talked about this every episode, is Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. (laughs) But I actually did start it today. So, yeah, and I'm enjoying it so far. Excellent. (laughs) Yeah, that one I, I have, I read the first paragraph and I just, that's as far as I got. So I can't even say I'm currently reading that one. But we are seeing her on Monday. Monday. So yeah. I'd like to maybe jump on that and see yeah. how much I can get read this weekend. I'm going to try. It's another 500-pager, I think. Yeah. So I'll do my best. Yeah, I'll try. I'm, I'm going to be going to New York tomorrow, so I'll have train time. Oh, good. Which is yeah. usually a good reading thing. Yeah. Um, so I am reading still Raising Wild by Mike Branch. I kind of had to put that one aside in a little bit uh, due to work and travel and whatnot. Um, but I'm reading another book by Chris Fox, who wrote that other writing book. This one is 5,000 words per hour. And I should say these are ebooks. And this one is free on his website. Oh. Right now you just enter your email address, of course, and, and you get it for free. And like I said, they're short. They're not exactly you know, hugely profound, but they're helpful and they're motivational and they do what they set out to do, which is to motivate you to write. Very good. I'll put a link to his website then in the show notes and you can get it in any format that you need for an e-reader. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Oh, I'm reading one more too. And this is the one I have sitting right here. I'm holding it up for Emily and sorry, everybody, you can't see it, but um, it's the right brain business plan, a creative visual map for success by Jennifer Lee. And Laura and I are reading it, and Laura's friend Chris, they have, I think they've been doing this for five years. They they have a weekly business phone call. Well, they used to do it in person when we lived 
there mm-hmm. in Illinois. Chris is actually in Indiana, but really close to the border. But they still do a weekly phone call. And a couple years ago, they started adding on a monthly book that they read. Oh, and this wow. is the current book that they're reading. Um, and I really like Jennifer Lee's website. Like, it's really fun, creative-looking, right-brain stuff. And but obviously, this one, a business plan, is very, you know, left-brain kind yeah. of thing. So um, so it's really cool. I'm, I'm in just a couple chapters, but I'm really enjoying it. Very good. Yeah. So that is a wrap-up of Currently Reading. Yeah. So Biblio Adventures, we had a joint jaunt. We went and saw the movie I Am Not Your Negro by James, about James about Baldwin. James Baldwin. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was intense. Whew, was that a good movie. I, you know, I have to say, we saw it in the theater, the Madison Theater, and there were moments where I was like, oh, I need it to pause. <laughs> like, I need to stop and think about this stuff. Yeah. So I think so I'm going to want to see it again, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I will too. It's one of those movies, it's just, it was really, it was tough to watch at times, mm-hmm. some of the images, and, but it was so, I mean, James Baldwin was, just amazing yeah. and so eloquent and yeah. so on point. And, and I had no idea about that. Like I knew that he was very much a writer. I didn't mm-hmm. know that he was spoke so much mm-hmm. and was asked to speak in very public places. Yeah. I had no idea about that part. So I, I learned a lot. Yeah. It's, it's great that there's a resurgence of interest in him and his writing and his books. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so other biblio adventures. I did go to the, New York Antiquarian Book Fair, right. and I had a blast. It was a great day. I I didn't buy anything. You didn't? I did not. I can't believe that. I thought for sure yeah. you would. I mean, the things that I would be interested in buying were way beyond my price range. Like, were they super, super expensive? Like, yeah, super some of the things. Or? Well, some of them weren't. Like, you know, there was um, a lot of mid-century fiction. Uh, mid-century fiction can be really cheap if there's not a dust jacket involved. Okay. If there's a dust jacket involved that's in good condition, the price can be astronomical. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had everything from medieval manuscripts, I think even some papyrus rolls, uh, you know, all the way up to, you know, pretty con- more contemporary type stuff, uh, but beautiful, beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And so I had my eye out, of course, for Dracula stuff, mm-hmm. Bram Stoker stuff, I should say. And and just quickly, let me tell you about two of the things. Um, one was a pamphlet. Well, it was considered a, a paperback book. It was a 1901 uh, first printing of the revised text of Dracula. And Dracula, again, it came out in 1897. So this is 1901. It's just a small little paper. It almost looks like it's stapled. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of paperback type thing. That was going for $10,000. Oh, mama. And you yeah. didn't buy it? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I didn't want to have any more weight in my bag. Um, <laughs> so that was really a neat thing to see. I, I really like that. And then in another booth, I was... And it was crowded, let me say that. So I was there on Mm. Saturday. It started at noon. I think I got there about one-ish. And it was really packed. Like some of the booths were really hard to get into. So I was kind of squeezing into this one booth and looking at stuff. And I heard somebody on the other side say, can you tell me about this Dracula? And like my head whipped around, you know. (laughs) And and I was like, (laughs) I kind of go over there. And like the guy, the seller looked at me and the woman really didn't look at me. I was like, and he started talking about it. And I said, do you mind if I listen in? And I was directing my question to the woman. Mm-hmm. And the guy said, no, no problem. Go ahead. And she didn't look at me. Like, And I'm thinking, like, honey, mm-hmm. I'm not going to 
like outbid you or right. anything like <laughs> exactly. that. Um, but I, yeah. So anyway, he, he talked about it. It was a first edition, but it wasn't a first printing. It was a later printing using the mm. same plates, I guess. Mm. Um, and, but it was in pretty good shape, but even that was $5,700. Wow. And that guy, I had a great conversation with him and another guy, another seller about Dracula in first editions of it, because it's a yellow book with a with red lettering on the front Dracula at on the top. And I asked if there were if there was a dust jacket or wrapper as they I guess they call them back then. And they think that there were, but no one has seen one. Mm. And they said if you had a first edition Dracula with a dust jacket, they can't even imagine what the price would be. All right, listeners, you heard yeah. it here first. Yeah, because this Keep other your guy. Eyes open uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, sales. I tweeted a picture of this, and uh, somebody said tweeted it on to one of their friends who was a, a rare book dealer in the UK, and and said, "Is is this overpriced?" And the guy wrote back and he said, "No, wow. if this is a, a first edition, it's very cheap." Wow. You know, and then when I said it wasn't the first printing, blah blah blah, that made more sense. So. I don't know. That was just really cool. I you must have so been in fun. heaven. I yeah. was. And, and that's the kind of thing for me. I, you know, it, it would be fun to do with somebody, but it's also fun to do alone. Oh, like yeah. I And I wanted to go alone just to not have yeah. to worry about if I'm taking too much time yeah. or anything. But it was cool. There were sellers from all over the United States, uh, Japan, Russia, wow. Germany, France, Italy. It was cool. It was just a great environment. Wow, yeah. I don't get how you do that. Like, just trek your books from Russia? That seems a little hard. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's cool. I'm so glad you went. Yeah, I'm going to go next year again. I, I think it's going to be an annual thing if Good. I can, if I'm, you know, obviously yeah. can make it happen. All right, upcoming adventures. As we said, we're going to see Minjin Lee on Monday. Monday. At the Savoy in Westerly. And then April 5th, I'll be going to New York City to the Center for Fiction, which I'm really excited about. I've never been there. Yeah. I'm meeting a couple of our mutual friends there. And we're going to see a joint um, joint event with Amor Tolls and Christina Baker-Klein. And they're going to be talking about writing um, history in fic- into fiction. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to that. Very cool. And then April 28th and 29th is the Newburyport literary festival in Newburyport, Mass. Awesome. So um, this is a really cool festival. If you guys are close, if any of you are close, I highly recommend you go. It's all free. And they get heavy hitters there. Like mm-hmm. Richard Rousseau is going to be there, who I love. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Empire Falls almost made it to my top 10. Oh, wow. That's one I had to scratch out. <laughs> now I've got 11. <laughs> um, so, and they do really interesting events where it's mute, a bunch of different authors together. Some of them are individual, some of them are together, and it's mm-hmm. it all takes place in Newburyport, which is a cool little town, and you can walk to all the events. So Awesome. April 28th and 29th. Do you have any other upcoming? Well, I, John and I are going to be getting together next Tuesday to talk about Sense and Sensibility. Oh, right on. And then dis- decide what Charles Baudelaire we're oh, going to wow. read. Yeah. I don't know. At this point, I'm thinking, like, maybe let's just pick a poem or two. But <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, have a little break month. <laughs> well, we, um, we saw – oh, I'm sorry. I misspoke. We I found a at least one free book of his on Project Gutenberg. Oh. So, you know, that's that would be easy to pick a couple yeah. of his 
more well-known poems maybe and do that. So. So what are your upcoming reads? Oh, my upcoming reads. Well, you know what? I I was just in Austin, Texas. Oh, I should say one of my biblio adventures was going to book people. Oh, right. In Austin. Yeah. What Great did you think? independent bookstore. I loved it. It was mm. really cool. I obviously could have spent days there. Yeah. Um, but it's great. They had a, a wonderful magazine section with journals. They did have literary mm. journals. They have a cafe. And just really great sections with some nice depth to them. Mm. One of the sections I was excited to see was they have an international fiction section translated into English, nice. which was exciting. Yeah. And then they had a huge wall of historical fiction. I haven't really seen a bookstore that pulled out historical no. fiction as its own category, so that was kind of cool to see. That's great. Yeah, mm. and, th- and then they have tons of events. You know, they're the event place to go when authors come to Austin. Um, so I did pick up two books when I was there. I got Notes of a Native Son by James Baldwin, and then also uh, Shoot Like a Girl, One Woman's Dramatic Fight in Afghanistan and on the Home Front, and that's by Mary Jennings Hagar. She was coming for an event there, and she's also a, an Austinite. Okay. Um, and this is about her experience. I think she, I don't know if she was in the National Guard. I'm not 100%. I don't remember now, but she was a pilot. Or oh, she is a pilot. Good. So, cool. Yeah, that's a Biblio adventure. So those two books are upcoming reads. Excellent. But before I get into the notes from a native son, I do want to read Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin, Baldwin which our mutual friend um, Kate had sent me. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Very good. I want to get that going. Oh, good. You know, and then, of course, all the Booktopia books. Yes. Because I did get uh, Will Schwalbe's <laughs> Books for the Living. Books for the Living just came in at the library. So there's that. Mm-hmm. I have Lillian Fishbox Takes a Walk. Did I get that Box title? Fish. Box Fish Takes a Walk. Ugh, so much yeah. reading to do. I know. But you know what? Um, speak, we, you spoke of the readers earlier and... Um, since Simon was out for a couple episodes, uh, Thomas had a, a new co-host, right. Francis, yeah. from None Such Books. And she was talking about how she looks at reading as a sport, you know. When she has <laughs> to do, like, heavy-duty reading, like, in graduate right. school or something, I was like, yes, I'll look at it as a sport, like, Booktopia <laughs> sport reading, you know. Well, I think she was talking about, if I remember correctly, I think she had done some reading for some awards or something yeah i thought that's what she was talking about yeah i think she might be the one who wrote thomas into like reading 200 books one yeah. year or something yeah. crazy yeah. like that yeah. yeah booktopia the sport of reading yes. <laughs> well my upcoming reads include uh, a booktopia author jim shepherd but it's his book it's called book of aaron which was um a lot of people were talking about that i want to say a year or two ago mm-hmm. and i have that on audio so that's going to be my next audio that i listen to um, and then I have um, In Other Words by Jhumpa Lahiri. I love her. I love yeah. her, too. She wrote The Namesake and Interpreter of Maladies, among yeah. others. And I have I go to this massage therapist, and in the massage therapy office, they have, like, essentially a little free library, like a cool. book swap, you know. Mm-hmm. And I walk out of there every time, like, with two or three books. <laughs> so awesome. this is one. And this is her book that she she learned to speak Italian, 
And then she challenged herself to write a book in Italian. Mm -hmm. So she wrote this book in Italian, and then it was translated back into the English by somebody else. Yeah, that's so cool. I know. So I'm really looking forward to reading it. It's called In Other Words by Junpo Lahiri. It's great. And then I love the name. I love everything she's written. I haven't read that one yet, but um, like the namesake, that was a great movie adaptation. Oh my gosh, it was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Highly, highly recommend. And I don't often recommend movies Mm -hmm. from books. I should say Babette's Feast was a good interpretation of Mm -hmm. the book. I don't know if I said that. So there are there are some out there, and then there are some. That hurts so great interpretations. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. And some yeah. that are maybe better. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Right, great. Well, we did it. Another episode. Happy, happy 10th birthday. 10th episode birthday. <laughs> yeah, happy, happy 10th episode. Yeah. 10. I guess that's silly to say birthday. It's not really a birthday. Happy, just happy 10th happy episode. Happy 10th episode. It's a milestone. It is a milestone. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, All right well, everybody. Happy reading. Happy reading. Thanks, as always, for listening. Yeah, and if you're looking for us, you can find us on Twitter at Book Cougars, Facebook at Book Cougars. If you have anything you want to share, please feel free to email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes and like to leave a review, we'd appreciate it. It helps other people find us. Thanks, everybody. Happy reading, everybody. Bye. Right.